Good morning. I hope you all are doing well. Glad to have you with us today. Last week, uh, after I completed my lesson, um, several asked me to finish it today since I failed to get around to it last week. So we'll work on that a little again today. The point is, <clears throat> baptism uh, is a requirement by God. It's not something uh, we've invented. It's not something we made up. A lot of people disagree with us on the matter, and we're probably all aware of that. But uh, we, we must uh, continue to believe and practice what the Lord would have us to do. And we're just trying to show reasons why that is the case. <clears throat> Baptism, uh, is it necessary to salvation? Part two. <clears throat> I read Norman Geisler last week. Uh, he wrote a s series of books. I believe we've got them over here in the library. I got it set at home. It's, uh, Systematic Theology. Uh, he's very, uh, he's renowned, very renowned person. In volume three, uh, he has a little blurb in there about us. He said, the Church of Christ's view on the condition for salvation. Uh, he's mocking us just a little bit right there. Uh, he does disagree with us and our beliefs. Um, for example, he believes there is one condition to salvation, and that is salvation by faith only. We, on the other hand, we believe there are five. And because of that, we, you know, we're ridiculed a lot. Some people call us uh, legalists or Pharisees. We believe in salvation by works. Uh, none of these things are true. But uh, unfortunately, that's what some people say. There is no Church of Christ view on anything. There isn't. We have no headquarters on the earth that hands down our beliefs to us. There is no person or committee of people that tells us what to believe and or do. The, the fact of the matter is Christ alone is our head and he's in heaven. And the only creed we have is the word of God. The word creed means I believe. When people talk about their creeds, they're talking about what they believe. And when you read the creeds, you're going to see that they're different than the Bible. We don't have a creed other than the Bible. It's the only one we go by. So um, let me proceed a little bit. Oh, he said this. Neither repentance, confession of one's faith, baptism, are conditions for pardon. Uh, this, of course, according to Geisler. Uh, James 2.24 said, You see, then a man is justified by works, not by faith only. The teaching of faith only is mentioned one time in the scriptures, only once, and it's right here in James 2.24. said a person is not saved by faith only. There's more to salvation than just believing. James goes on to say the devils believe, the demons believe. And they tremble. Belief isn't a big deal. It's hard not to believe in God. We had to get here from some source. That's not such much. It's whether or not you believe God 
enough that you'll do what he would want you to do. This is what uh, separates us in, in many ways. What does Jesus say about the matter of baptism, or any matter for that matter? The word that I have spoken is your judge. The New Testament scriptures are our judge in the day of the judgment. I don't have to wonder what I'm going to be judged by. I know. I want to be judged by the New Testament scriptures. Did I conform to the will of God as revealed in the New Testament or not? It's just that simple. I've taken tests in school all my life and worried and fretted over what I was going to have to be tested on. I study this, I study that, I study the other thing. Well, we don't have to fret. We got the test right in front of us. And one day, that's going to be the measuring stick we're judged by. Truth versus the lie. Jesus said the truth is what makes men free. John 8, 32. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 12, he said, Not believing the truth, those who do not believe the truth, they shall be condemned. So the truth's good, the lie is bad. The truth's good, whatever opposes it is bad. No matter where it comes from, if it comes from me, you, anybody else. It's really easy when you stop and think about it. New Testament testimony. What must one do to be saved? The five steps I mentioned just a few moments ago uh, are taught several times, actually. I, I'm very brief here in this introduction. Is that we have to hear, believe, repent, confess Jesus Christ as Lord. The final step is to be baptized for the remission of sins. Now, does that mean that baptism is the catch-all for remission of sins? Not at all. If what Ronald's talking about this morning, if a person doesn't repent, no need to be baptized because it's not going to do any good. It's not one step such as baptism. It's all five. These are the five steps a person must be engaged in in order for that person to be saved. We're only talking about baptism because uh, I forgot the reason why, but somebody asked me about it a week or two ago, and uh, that's how we got where we are. Psalm 119, 160, commit it to memory. The entirety of God's word is the truth. The American Standard and the King James Version, I believe, says the sum of your word is truth. The totality of what God has said on any given subject, baptism, for example, uh, I've been studying these things for a long time. To understand baptism, I have to discuss, I have to study everything the Bible says about baptism because that's the only way you can know the truth of the matter. If you leave out something, you may misunderstand it because you might not have all the evidence. It's the entirety of God's word that is truth. That's very important. Uh, we left off last week, uh, I think this is on the screen, 1 Peter 3, 20, 21. Uh, Peter says a lot in this little passage, and uh, we'll go through it kind of slow because uh, I want to point out uh, some of the things he uh, makes mention of. 
First of all, the divine long-suffering waited while the ark was being prepared. The Lord had determined that he would have to destroy man off the earth because the whole world was sinful. It just fell apart more or less. So the Lord decided in 120 years, that'd be the time frame. He didn't say it, I believe, I don't think, but that's how long it took. In 120 years, he was going to destroy the world and its population. That went for the animals, the various creatures of all sorts. Everything that God created would perish, except for a few. He would spare a few to reproduce after the flood era. But uh, this was the plan. And he told Noah to, to build him a, a boat, an ark. And if Noah would do what the Lord said, build that ark, and it was a huge thing. It took probably the 120 years to build it. If he would do it, and he did, he would be able to ride the ark and escape uh, condemnation. The divine long-suffering was waiting on Noah to build that ark. <clears throat> Noah was preaching to the people during that time repent or perish but few if any listened this ark in which a few that is ultimately only eight souls were saved only eight people rode the boat to salvation and they were saved through water that's uh, very significant that through water it doesn't seem like much but it is he doesn't say that Noah was saved by water in water, from water. He's very specific. He chose the word through water. The point was they were saved by God through the water. The water was the agent God chose. The water didn't save them. God saved them. He was the one that orchestrated everything. It was God who saved Noah and his family <clears throat> but it was done by means of water God used water as the element by which he would save Noah and he did it goes on verse 21 Peter says now there is also an antitype which now saves us that word antitype is very important the, the salvation of Noah and his family was a preview of what would ultimately be done when Christ came into the world. The flood, the ark, the salvation of Noah's family was a preview of what would be the reality, and that is water baptism. In both cases, God used water as the element through which he would deliver both Noah as well as us today. This antitype, which now saves us, Peter explicitly states, is water baptism. <clears throat> it was water by which God delivered Noah, and today it is water which now saves us. Peter understood this. He was inspired by the Spirit of God, and he recorded it so that you and I could also understand it. We know our salvation 
is by God, we know that it's accomplished through our hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being immersed in water. It's very significant. The two are very similar. Not the removal of the flesh, <clears throat> but the answer of a good conscience. God told me to do this. And I did it because God told me to do this. My conscience is clear. So Peter explains. Noah was saved by the power of God through water. The world was condemned by water. Noah and his family were saved by water. The Lord used water to separate Noah from the condemned world. Today, we are also saved by the power of God through water. The world is condemned, John 3, 19. Jesus explains why the world is under condemnation. All people were condemned to a devil's hell. But there were some people who accepted Christ as their Savior. And they were allowed to escape the flood A fire and brimstone. Because God was willing to save them. Ultimately through water. The Lord uses water to separate us from the world. I'll explain a little bit more in a few moments. Naaman, he was a, a warrior of Syrian army. He uh, was a leper. He wanted to be cleaned of his leprosy. To make a long story short, he went down into Judea. He found the prophet Elisha. And Elisha, uh, he didn't go out to talk to him, but he sent his servant out. And he told him, if you want to be healed of your leprosy, go down there to the Jordan River. Dip seven times, and you will be healed. Oh, boy, he got mad. He couldn't believe this. All the rivers in Damascus... All the clean water in Damascus and all the times I've been in there, they never cleaned me of this leprosy. And now this guy tells me to get into that muddy Jordan and I'll be cleaned? Well, anyway, he decided he would. Now, Naaman was a very intelligent man. And he knew that the water of the Jordan River could not take away leprosy. He understood that. If leprosy was taken away from him, it would be by the power of Elisha's God. So he obeyed God. He went to the river, he dunked seven times, and he came up after that seventh time, and sure enough, the leprosy was gone. Naaman isn't the only individual case in which such a thing happened. There's many other people, too. But what we discover is that, whoops, Naaman was saved by God through water. Noah was saved by God through water. And today we are saved by God through water. I see a pattern developing. What we believe today is what people have believed since the beginning of time. 
The salvation of God by using water in many instances. And so it is today. It's not so strange. The Lord, in Genesis 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart because people were so full of sin. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made man. But Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. <clears throat> the Lord caused it to rain, and the rain encompassed the earth. It covered the highest mountains on earth. Today, fossils have been found on the highest parts of our planet. And the only way they could have gotten there is if they were underwater at one time, which they were. But two different things happened when God caused it to rain. The floodwaters came. Noah was in the ark. And as the waters increased, Noah's ark started floating. And the deeper the water got, the higher Noah was going. He went up and up and up until God turned off the water. People under the water, they perished. Some estimate perhaps two billion people at that time. They perished. They were destroyed the first time. They will be destroyed a second time. How sad, how sad. It's heartbreaking to think of all those folks. Noah, on the other hand, he was saved by the water. What was important here was being on the right side of the water. If you're under the water, you die. If you're on top of the water, you live. God used water to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And he does the same today. We already know that the Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when the floods come, the people of the planet died. And Noah was raised up above. There was a which side of the water? Today it's no different. Which side of the water are you? There is also, Peter said, an antitype which now saves us, and that is baptism. Baptism is the antitype. Noah is the type, shadow, if you will, symb symbolic of what would finally come in the last age. Water baptism today separates the lost just like it did in Noah's time. It separates the lost from those who through the waters of baptism have their sins removed by God and they are saved. They've met the conditions God laid down and because of that, God took away the sins 
And from that time forward, they would become new creatures and live a very, very different life. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul said we were buried with Jesus in baptism. You know, Jesus was buried. After being crucified, he was buried in the ground. And on the third day, our Lord came up from the ground. A new creature, an everlasting creature. Well, this is what Paul's speaking about. Just like Jesus, we were buried too. But we were buried in water in which you also were raised with Jesus. That just as he came out of the water, even so we too come out of the water to be new creatures. Forgiven, cleaned, cured. This is accomplished through faith. It's not the water. It's through your faith in the working of God. God told you to be baptized and he would take away your sins. You trusted God and you did what God told you to do and that's why God took away your sins. In baptism, you have a working of God that takes place. It's not the water that takes away our sins, it's God. When we do what he tells us to do, it is God who performs surgery on us in that water and removes all of our sins and makes us new creatures. It's the removal of sin and it equals salvation. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness. We're talking about John the baptizer. This is what uh, he was engaged in during his ministry. He was baptizing folks. He was immersing them in water. The water was the element. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance. A baptism of repentance. The penitent believer. How do I know he was a believer? Well, if he's going to repent of his sins, surely he believed what John preached. So the penitent believer was to be immersed in water. And that was for, for, is why a person would be baptized, a baptism of repentance. What induces a person to do that? For the remission of sins. John the baptizer baptized people all over Judea. And when he did, their sins were forgiven. Well, Christ hasn't been crucified yet. doesn't matter. He was going to be crucified. The Lord knew he was going to be crucified. And because he knew they, he would be crucified. During the days of John, which wasn't that long, those who believed the message and was baptized the baptism of repentance had their sins taken away, just like we do. That's when we read the book of Acts, chapter 2. We read about the apostles being present, 120 disciples being present, and yet there's nothing, no mention in the Bible of those people being baptized. And why would that be? They'd already been baptized. And it was for the remission of sins. And there was no reason for a second baptism. They were saved. When the sins are taken away by God, 
that is a safe person. Indeed, John preached a lesson of remission of sins. Now, Luke, Dr. Luke, he, he zeroes in on the scribes and the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees and lawyers, rather, uh, he says they rejected the will of God. Well, in what way did they reject the will of God, Luke? He said, not having been baptized by John the baptizer. Notice what he's saying here. It's very important. Refusing baptism for the remission of sins is the equivalent of rejecting God. All over the world, there are millions and millions and millions of people who have yet to be baptized for their remission of sins. Why? Why would they not do what the Lord tells them to do? I, I, I think I know why. People are telling them, you don't have to. It's not important. You're saved by faith only. And now our family, our friends, they believe this stuff. <laughs> and the Bible clearly teaches us what the end result of that is. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, that is, those who believed his message that he had just preached in the earlier part of the chapter, he said to those believers, they asked, what must we do? We crucified the Son of God. How are we going to fix this? And Peter said, you must repent. And let every one of you, or each one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus the Christ by his authority. Again, with the word for, in anticipation of, what are they to do? They're to repent. They are to be baptized in order to have their sins taken away. Folks, this goes on and on and on throughout the New Testament scriptures. Geisler's dead. I never had a chance to talk to him. But I know how much influence his books have. I know how many people believe what he wrote because, like I said, he's a brilliant man. He just believed the false teaching of salvation by faith only. And he believed it so strong that he willfully rejected what he knew to be the will of God. If I could understand it, I know good and well he could have understood it. But he didn't want to understand it. And he went to his grave without ever admitting it. How sad. How sad it is. Not only are sins remitted, but the believer shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mark said the same thing with regard to John the baptizer. The difference was, in both cases, there was remission of sins. But the difference is, in Mark 1, they were forgiven their sins by the authority of God through the teaching of John the baptizer. In the New Testament, they were forgiven their sins by God, 
by the authority of Jesus the Christ. Two different standards. John didn't last long, but he accomplished a great deal in a short amount of time. In Acts twenty-two sixteen, Paul was asked by Ananias, a Christian. He said, now, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Then he adds to that, calling on the name of the Lord. This is a very important little phrase. A lot of you all know why it is. There are so many people who teach that all you have to do is call on the Lord. I watched Franklin Graham on the television a couple weeks ago, and he was imploring people to, to come to Jesus. And then he said, all you need to do is pray the sinner's prayer. He said, you need to call on the name of the Lord. And I'm not sure which verse he got it from. I don't remember. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. My brothers and sisters, that is not what the phrase means. Calling on the name of the Lord. This calling on the name of the Lord describes the nature of the immersion. In other words, why were they baptized? And washing away sins in the process. In doing so, they were calling on the name of the Lord. Not with their mouth. They were doing it by their actions. They proved that they believed Jesus of Nazareth. And they obeyed his command. It's a matter of effect, in other words, what was told. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Oh, I don't have time to do this. It's going to take too long. And I kept you late last week. I'm not going to do that this time. And I'm not going to preach this again next week. We'll go, we'll go on to something else. But uh, if you want my notes, I'll give them to you. But uh, what I would like to say is that we, we're, we are here for a reason. We, we are alive because God wants us here. He wants us here because he loves us. He loved us before he saw us. He loved us before he seen us in flesh. He knew what our potential was. He knew what we could do. He knew that we could return his love. And he wanted love. Like so many of us do, we want love. That's one of the reasons we go out and we find his spouse. I want to love and I want to be loved. Well, God, we're made in his image, you know. God wants to love and be loved as well. And he created us because he knew we had the capacity to love him if we would only will to do so. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I would plead with you to get to know him. I would encourage you to come to our worship services, our Bible classes, get to know him. Because once you know him, you got to love him. Because he was undoubtedly the greatest man that ever walked in flesh. And once you know him and can believe him, repent, confess, be immersed in water. Become a New Testament Christian, a child of God. If you're here today, if you're a Christian who's not been as faithful as you know you ought to be, and we all do that sometimes. I've done it. 
I've done it several times. I've come before the church and I've asked for forgiveness because I act badly. But when I did, my sin was taken away. And I was, I was very happy. When, I, when we pray for one another, there's much power, much power in that kind of prayer. The prayer of a righteous man, James said, avails much. I want the prayers of righteous people.